Hello and welcome to another episode of the Skull King Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Ryan Skullrude, and we want to welcome you again to our Inside Look series presented by StatRoute, your number one source of fantasy stats for fantasy football, and now basketball as well. Uh, if you want to get a little discount on your monthly subscription to StatRoute, make sure to go to statroute.com, enter in the promo code SKULLKINGFF to get, I believe, 25% off of your subscription uh in this uh, episode of the inside look series we are actually talking with david shoemate he is the voice of the duke university blue devils and we will be uh, discussing the the junior quarterback uh daniel jones and uh, what uh what he has been able to do in his career at duke and some of the things that uh, david has seen over the last couple of years uh, i hope you enjoy this show and get uh, a little uh, bit of a perspective on uh, what Daniel may bring to the table as he is one of the uh, what many consider one of the top five quarterbacks in this draft. So again, hope you enjoy this episode and here we go. All right. So uh, our next interview that we're doing in our in our inside look series at these draft prospects uh, for the NFL draft this year in 2019, uh, we get to speak to the voice of the Duke Blue Devils, Mr. David Shoemate. Uh, David, thank you for coming on the show today. For sure. Thanks for having me on. All right, so today we're talking about the junior quarterback, Daniel Jones, 6'5", 220 pounds, um, had a pretty decent year this year in 2018, uh, 200, or about 2,600 passing yards, 22 TDs, nine interceptions, 60% completion percentage, um, can run the ball. Can Just kind of give me an overview uh, from your perspective of what you saw out of Daniel this past year. Yeah, sure. For those that aren't as familiar with him, he's he's got the prototypical quarterback build, 6'5", 220. Um, he, he's lean, um, but that means he's fast. Um, he can certainly run. The running numbers this year were a little bit down from what he's done in past seasons, a, a little over 300 yards this season. He, he went for over 500 in his, what was his redshirt sophomore campaign, and, and nearly 500 in his redshirt freshman season. The reason for that was um, he had a collarbone injury early, early in the year in Duke's second game against Northwestern, actually missed a couple of games. So that affected it. And then when they were bringing him back, obviously you're not going to do power read and, and that sort of stuff as he's working with that injury. So sometimes you, you can bury yourself in statistics and go in the wrong direction. But he, he's a guy who can really run, um, and he's, he's incredibly accurate. The arm strength speaks for itself, um, how he can rifle it in on, on a sideline out or, or things like that. He's got all the tools. To me, that what separates him is his intellect um, and the way he thinks about the game. And I guess that shouldn't be shocking for someone who's worked with David Cutcliffe and, and the way he works with quarterbacks. Obviously, Peyton and Eli jump off the page, but a bunch of different guys have gone to the NFL. And the way he thinks about the game and the way he's learned to, to see the game, I think, has been really impressive to see as he's grown over his few years here at Duke. Yeah, one of the one of the comparisons. Uh, I mean, there's there's multiple things to talk about when it comes to Daniel Jones' game. You mentioned that he had missed a couple games uh, this past year, um, and and I saw a lot uh, in his game tape. Watching game tape, there's a, there was a lot of of the designed option reader on the outside, even up the middle, like the power read and that sort of thing. Which you know, his his legs are for a guy his size are phenomenal. Just the the, the amount of speed that he can get and get going pulling away from, from defensive backs down the field. It was very impressive to watch him, a guy his size, uh, be able mm -hmm. to run as well as he does. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, that, and that's not – I don't want to get too carried away. He, he's definitely first and foremost a pocket passer. Um, but because of the system that 
we run here at Duke, there's a, there's a little more of a running game to it, um, just the way the system is constructed. But, um, yeah, he, he's got tremendous speed. I mean, the, the Carolina game in particular broke off two long runs and, as you said, was running away from guys in the secondary. Once he gets into the open field, he's, he's really good. He, he's tough. Um, and that's one of the things they've been working on with him uh, this past year is, you know, not taking unnecessary hits. Um, getting down, but before you, you know, you take one of those shots, obviously at the next level, you definitely don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, he's definitely got the ability to run, but but first and foremost, what jumps off at you when you watch him in practice or you watch him in a game is just the arm strength and the accuracy. Um, and when he gets in his own, he's as good as anybody I've ever seen at the collegiate level in person. He, he just finds guys and, and particularly in his redshirt junior season has kind of learned the art of creating or taking his receiver into a big play. Um, kind of leading them a little bit and, and turning what would be, I don't know, five, 10 yard gain into a 20, 25 yard gain because he's able to read, see where the defenders are and lead them in the right direction. Kind of that next level stuff that I think you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the accuracy. I know that people get like you, like you even said, you know, getting bogged down in statistics. Well, 60% isn't a great completion percentage. Uh, I, when I'm looking at the tape, I'm seeing, I'm honestly seeing a lot of dropped passes, passes hitting receivers hands that just, uh, you know, really would, you know, his, his percentage probably should be up, you know, close in the high 60s from what I saw. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's certainly fair. And, you know, in all honesty, there are different times this year where, um, and I think the coach would first to tell you that, that Duke had some protection problems. Some of that had to do with who they were facing. You know, when you're going up against a team like Clemson, uh, everybody had protection <laughs> problems, including Alabama. Um, so, I mean, if you look at if you look at the tape, you know, some of that completion percentage is because, you know, when you, you're running for your life, it's a little bit different animal. But also, um, you're right, there, there were some opportunities missed by the receiving core that had a better year than the previous year, but there were certainly some drops out there. It's like you said, you almost have to watch the tape to, to get a feel for how good he was. At case in point, I thought one of the best games he played was when Duke was at Clemson. I mean, incredibly accurate, but the stats don't bear that out at all. But he was tough. He stood in there. He, he's kind of got that warrior mentality. He doesn't shy away when he takes a big hit. So you have to really watch the film to, to get a feel for how tough this guy is. And and that, to me, is what gives him those intrinsic leadership qualities. Um, he, he's definitely an introvert by nature. Um, but that doesn't mean he can't lead. A lot of times he leads by example. He's very different in the locker room, um, very vocal in there. Um, but that is something that, that's interesting to watch over the course of the season for what might come across initially as a quiet guy to become the unquestioned leader of the team and have the respect of his teammates is pretty impressive for, for such a young kid. Yeah, you know, talking, talking about, you know, you're talking about his leadership, uh, being a quiet guy. We, we spoke with uh, Toby Rowland of, of Oklahoma about Kyler Murray and how he's kind of in that same, both these guys are very quiet personality-wise on the field. They're, they're, they're very much that lead by example. They're not, ex, you know, they're not like, like uh, Toby Rowland was saying, the, the, the Baker Mayfields going crazy, dancing, you know, in front of his, you know, in front of his co uh, in front of his other players on the sideline going crazy. Very much Daniel Jones, I've seen that he's that quiet leadership, you know, gets the job done, leads by example, as far as you can see on the field. Now, again, we don't necessarily see what happens in the locker room, but yeah, I, you know, that he has that almost that calming presence on the field and le and that leadership by example, that's that I think is, is very, could be very important. And, and again, understated in the NFL. Yeah, there's no question. And, and look, we can talk about it tangibles all day, but a lot of times you get the leadership because you're good and, and guys notice you're good and, and you can lead them. And like you said, there's a calming influence when he's on the field. Uh, 
his knowledge of the playbook and, and schematics around the ACC allowed Duke to, to really go empty for a good chunk of the second half of the season. And, and you know what I mean, but you know what I mean? No running back in the backfield, no tight ends. It was yeah. just him and having to make quick reads. Um, and he was able to do that and really pick apart some of the better defenses in the ACC. But you can't do that w- without a guy who spends most of his life in the film room learning everything, knowing the quick read, because when you go empty, obviously no extra protection. you got to get out there quickly and, and making the right decision, picking the matchup he liked, and, and that was a big part of what it was for us. And that, to me, is what's going to be exciting uh, to see what he does at the next level when, obviously, the defenses get a little more complex and you got to think your way through that. And, and that, to me, is the strongest suit of his game, and that's why I think he's so well-suited to succeed at the next level because he has the physical attributes, but probably – his best strength is getting in the film room and, and learning how to make it work because, you know, there are a million different guys who have the talent when they get in the NFL, and, and then you get chewed up by everything that's thrown at you, and I just don't think that'll be the case with Daniel. Yeah, I, I you know, again, watching his tape, he's, he's been very, 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 very solid, and, you know, that the, the talent obviously is there. I think the one thing that I think that will really help him out as well, just – you know, beyond, you know, knowing the film room and everything, I think that what really sets him up is his solid throwing mechanics. From what I've seen, uh, his ability to, you know, move or slide around in the pocket um, to keep his feet underneath him, to not not plant himself, but to keep his feet moving, which, you know, goes goes well with his, with his uh, ability to run the ball, but his ab- ability to be able to kind of slide out of out of the way of, of uh, oncoming uh, defenders and be able to still deliver the ball. I mean, you talked about his toughness and, and how, you know, the coaches were trying to tell him, you know, you don't need to take some of those shots downfield. You know, he was willing, I saw multiple times, especially in that Clemson game, watching the Clemson tape, he's willing to take the shot in the pocket to make sure that he gets that throw off. And it, again, in the NFL, he's going, honestly, he's going to have to be able to do that. Yeah, there's no question. It's funny you should mention that because I talked to him last summer, and his footwork was his big point of emphasis, um, making sure, as you said, when he's off balance, just making sure his feet are solid underneath him so it doesn't affect his throwing motion, knowing he's going to get hit or something like that. And then the other point of emphasis, particularly for the coaching staff this season, I think he did a much better job of that. There's a temptation when you drop back in the pocket, when you feel pressure, to want to bail out and try to curve out of there and, and working on stepping up in the pocket and getting, you know, stepping into your protection versus wanting to peel out and run. And he did that a lot better. As you said, you take some hits when you do it that way, but it buys you the extra half second, second to be able to get the throw off, and, and that was a big piece of it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no question at our level, at the next level, the willingness to, to take that shot and, you know, not want to go, I don't know, turtle mode or whatever and just kind of <laughs> take the back and, and want to lessen the hit. No, he's willing to stand there make that throw even if he knows he's going to get lit up right after. Yeah, and one, one last thing that, that I want to I mention that, you know, you talked about his big arm. Uh, you know, he he does have a, a cannon of an arm. Um, you know, his his ability to to get the ball out quickly, and then you know, most of the misses that I saw when he was throwing the ball, they were they weren't short. Especially when a uh, receiver is going downfield, if he was going to miss, he was going to make sure that he missed long, and that only his wide receiver was going to have a chance to get to it. Yeah, no, I mean that that's incredibly fair, and actually, it's interesting because if you see the the progression from his freshman year to, to his junior season, redshirt freshman to redshirt junior, that was the biggest difference, right? Um, he always had the arm set but, or the arm skill, but you could see in his redshirt freshman season, you know, sometimes people fall in love with their own talent and try to fit things into windows that maybe aren't there. Um, and he had a lot of turnovers uh, at the beginning of his career, which isn't shocking for a young guy. But yeah. as he got older, he learned where to miss. Um, he learned to lead guys and 
it's better to have an overthrow, as you said, an incompletion than try to make the perfect throw into double coverage and you end up with a pick. Um, yeah. And that was kind of the biggest difference, and as particularly when you're talking about shots down the field and, and him, that he wasn't trying to, to overdo it just because he knew he had the arm strength to get it there. Why take a 50-50 chance when you can skew the odds in your favor and worst-case scenarios an incomplete pass? And, and that's that mental part of the game that I was talking about. Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be fun uh, seeing where he goes um, you know, seeing, watching the mock drafts, you know, and how they how they always change with the some of the teams that are very desperate for for a quarterback right now. I, I'm I will be very interested to see where where Daniel Jones goes and the the you know kind of the system that he gets put in. Uh, can't look, can't wait to see where what he's able to do in the NFL again, David. I want to thank you for taking the time, uh, giving a little bit of your time to uh, to talk uh, to talk about Daniel. Um, you know, it's it's always fun to be able to talk with. Uh, people who have had a, a really close eye on these prospects. And again, thank you for giving your time and, and we really appreciate it. For sure. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Thank you so much. Hey, Skull King Nation. Thank you for listening to the Skull King Football Podcast. Did you like this episode? If so, be sure to go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube to subscribe. Also, please leave us a rating and reviews to let us know how we can better help you rule your leagues.